Hello, I'm Brett Dillon, and this is The Movie Chronicles. Grab your pail of beer and sit up on a skyscraper crossbeam. We're in 1920 to review director-actor Buster Keaton, who was born on October the 4th, 1895, in Pequa, Kansas, USA, and he died in 1966. The hometown of Buster's birth was an accident. It was the town where his mother and father were playing at the time. They were a vaudeville act that took to the road. Although vaudeville might be too strong a word, the show was called the Mohawk Indian Medicine Company, and they sold patent medicine on the side, in the days when the alcohol content of medicine was questionably high. According to legend, Buster got his name at the age of 18 months, when he tumbled down some stairs and actor friend of the family, George Pardee, exclaimed, Gee whiz, he's a regular Buster! Variations on the tale have the event occurring at six months, and or magician Harry Houdini giving Buster the nickname. His parents put him on the stage at the age of three, the basic act, which continued into Buster's teenage years, was a skit of a quiet family scene. Buster would interrupt his father, who would throw him against the scenery, into the orchestra, or anywhere else available. His father even had some straps sewed into Buster's costume to more easily control the throwing. There were two problems, however. Joe Keaton, his father, was a drunk. Worse, he was a drunk who could carry a grudge onto the stage. One time, Joe threw Buster into a flat, knowing that the only thing behind it was a brick wall. Buster remembered later, Pop made me the featured performer of our act when I was five. There were dozens of other family acts in vaudeville at the turn of the century, but none of the children in them was featured as early as that. Many of these kids were very talented, and their parents were as eager as mine to give them the same head start in show business that I was getting. The reason managers approved of my being featured was because I was unique, being at that time the only hell-raising Huckfin-type boy in vaudeville. The parents of the others presented their boys as cute and charming little Lord Fauntleroys. The girls were Dolly Dimple types with long golden curls. I doubt that any kid actor had more attempts made to save him by civic do-gooders than did our buster. The reason, of course, was our slam-bang act. Even people who most enjoyed our work marveled when I was able to get up after my bashing, crashing, smashing sessions with Pop. As always, there is a trick, Buster explained. The secret is in landing limp and breaking the fall with a foot or a hand. It's a knack. I started so young that landing right is second nature to, with me. Several times I'd have been killed if I hadn't been able to land like a cat. Imitators of our act don't last long, because they can't stand the treatment. Buster, famous for his deadpan expression on film, developed this expression early in the family act. He had so much fun being thrown about by his father that he would laugh out loud when it happened. He noted this killed the audience laughter, and so he developed a character of restraint, a cartoon character whom nothing could hurt. One might almost say an emotionally constipated character. The farce was begun. 
the family were chased by accusations of child abuse, and the family needed to keep ahead of the do-gooders who wanted to make sure Buster got an education, something he used his income to make sure his siblings got. The act split up when both he and his mother Myra felt threatened by Joe's behaviour. This was a complex matter. His behaviour was causing the act to slide. And it was now an old act that needed to be updated, which couldn't happen until Joe straightened himself out. Basically, Buster and Myra skipped while the going was good. In 1916, Buster entered the U.S. Army and served in World War I, getting an ear infection that permanently impaired his hearing. Back stateside in 1917, he met actor Roscoe Fatty Arbuckle, who was contracted to make films for Joseph M. Schneck. Roscoe invited Buster to join in a scene in front of the camera, and so he made his film debut in The Butcher Boy. At the end of the day, he asked to borrow the camera. Buster explained, The first thing I did in the studio was want to tear that camera to pieces. I had to know how that film got into the cutting room, and what you did to it in there, how you projected it, how you finally got the picture together, how you made things match. The technical part of pictures is what interested me. Material was the last thing in the world I thought about. You only had to turn me loose on the set, and I'd have material in two minutes, because I'd been doing it all my life. Keaton claimed he was soon Roscoe's second director and his entire gag department. He certainly stayed with Roscoe until going solo in 1920. By this time, he was seen as a rival to Charlie Chaplin. Buster didn't quite see it that way, recalling, Charlie's tramp was a bum with a bum's philosophy. Lovable as he was, he would steal if he got the chance. My little fellow was a working man and honest. Keaton's output from the 1920s onwards shows him growing in confidence as a director. We begin with Convict 13. Director, script and actor, Buster Keaton. Director, script and actor, Edward F. Klein. Director of photography, Algon Leslie. Actors, Sybil Seeley, Joe Roberts, Joe Keaton, Louise Keaton and Harry Keaton. Buster develops comedy into surrealism in this film as he tries to play a round of golf, the game that brings out the beast of man. Buster plays a golfer mistaken for an escaped prisoner who is to be hung that day. It includes scenes of his character, named Golfer, trying to find a golf ball inside a fish and the bungee jump hanging scene. Keaton saves the day during a prison riot and then all is revealed to be a dream. Keaton as director is still learning his craft. Keaton as actor has perfected his stone-faced persona. His motto could be, not a problem. He is either blissfully unaware of a problem or has worked out his plans, arranged alphabetically, of course, A to Z. Louise Keaton made her film debut with this film. Neighbours. Director, script and actors, Buster Keaton and Edward F. Klein. Director of photography, Algon Leslie and editor, D.C. Cardinelli. Actors, Jack Duffy, Virginia Fox, Joe Keaton, Joe Roberts and the Flying Escalantes. Keaton updates Romeo and Juliet. 
The majority of the action occurs in two adjoining backyards, an elaborate set constructed around the gags. The lovers are separated by a wall, echoing Pyramus and Thisbe. They communicate through a knothole in the fence. Their parents intercept the message and come to believe there's multiple adultery going on. History was painfully inept on January the 2nd. The first Red Scare occupied the minds of freedom-denying U.S. citizens. 4,025 suspected anarchists and communists were arrested and held without trial. January the 7th, in continuation of this theme, the New York State Assembly refused to seat five duly elected socialist assemblymen. January the 17th, the theme continues as prohibition came into effect. Swig that beer down now, boys, because you'll not get another mouthful until the 18th Amendment in the Constitution is annulled. January the 19th. Perhaps, in response to not being constantly smashed out of their minds, several civil-minded citizens of the U.S. founded the American Civil Liberties Union, ACLU. January the 30th. A bout between Joe Stetcher and Earl Caddock was filmed in the USA. This became the oldest surviving footage of a wrestling match. June the 13th, in a surprise ruling, the US Post Office Department ordered that children may not be sent by parcel post. Parents began to demand that envelopes are made larger. June the 15th, a day of infamy the US wants you to forget. Six circus workers were jailed for an alleged assault in Duluth, Minnesota. Two movements converged in what happened next. Blacks fled the segregation of the South after World War I, looking for a better life and better job opportunities. White soldiers returned home to find themselves competing with blacks for the lower paid jobs. This was exacerbated by a narrative that blacks were keeping the wages for those jobs low. I wonder how they do that when they're employed and not the employer. On June the 14th, the John Robinson Circus entered Duluth to perform. That night, two teenagers watched the black workers pack up the show. Next day, the father of James, Jimmy Sullivan, complained to the police that James had been assaulted by the workers and that Irene Truscan had been raped. A doctor examined Irene and found no evidence of this. Despite this, Irene and James were taken to a lineup to identify the men who did the deed. Bad reporting now came into play. Newspapers went with the assault rape narrative. The Bush Telegraph added the detail that Irene was dying from her injuries. A mob soon formed at the prison and the police were ordered not to turn their weapons on them. The mob seized three of the prisoners, beat them, and then hung them. They also took photographs of their crime. 
reaction to this crime was immediate. The circus fired all its black workers. The town of Superior in Wisconsin announced, we are going to run all idle Negroes out of Superior and they're gonna stay out. It is unknown how many people were forced from their homes. A special grand jury was formed to investigate the lynchings and concluded, waffle, 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 something needs to be done. This something occurred on June the 17th when 25 persons were charged with rioting and 12 with murder in the first degree. Details now become a little confusing, at least to me. Three surviving circus workers were charged with rape, along with another four men. The NAACP protested the lack of evidence and got the charges dismissed for five of the men, which is curious as the evidence seems to be the same for all of them. Max Mason and William Miller were sent for trial. William was acquitted and Max was found guilty. He served four years and a condition of release was that he never returned to the state. William T. Francis, lawyer for Max, campaigned for an anti-lynching law that was passed in April of 1921. I note that it cunningly created a provision to seek compensation from police officials who failed to protect prisoners from mobs, i.e. do their job. Buster was unconcerned with politics. His attitude was that it would all be resolved in one week. Director and script, Edward F. Klein. Director, script and actor, Buster Keaton. Actors, Sybil Seeley and Joe Roberts. Keaton was not so much freed from the shadow of Fatty Arbuckle as propelled from it by circumstances. In one week, he builds on the lessons he learned. This was the first film released by his independent company. In 1919, the Ford Motor Company released the educational short film Home Made. The film extolled the virtues of prefabricated housing. The script for One Week takes this idea and runs with it. For Keaton, the virtue was to move away from narrative to spend time on building the gags. In order to do this, he had been looking for a malleable but simple idea from which, as film historian Kevin Brownlow would write, Keaton could create his signature editing. The opening gag sequence, the slow build-up, the frenetic climax, and then that climax outmatched by the final sequence. Eleanor Keaton claimed that Buster intended to combine One Week with The Boat, 1921, to create a feature film about the adventures of a young couple. This project never came to fruition as the lead actress was replaced between the films. If this story is true, it is an interesting aside that shows Keaton was already thinking on how to maximize his profits. The odd house was built on a turntable so that it could spin around, no model work needed. This is also a film where Buster's stunt work didn't go as planned. He was badly injured in the stunt, 
falling two stories out of the house. He injured his back and arms. In the story, a married Keaton is gifted a plot of land and a kit-set house. A rival mislabels their kit and Keaton, consequently, builds a very eccentric home. There are storms inside and outside the house. The relationship abides, even when they learn they've built on the wrong plot of land. The Scarecrow. Director, script and actors Buster Keaton and Edward F. Klein. Director of photography Algon Leslie. Editor DC Cardinelli. Actors Joe Keaton, Joe Roberts, Sybil Seeley, Al St. John and Luke the Dog. This sequence of skits gets its title from a sequence where Keaton disguises himself as a scarecrow to escape the mob chasing him. The plot is paper-thin and based on the chase genre. Buster and his friend compete for the hand of the same girl. He runs from a dog he thinks is rabid and ends up having to borrow a scarecrow's clothes. In tying up his shoelaces, the girl thinks he's proposing and Buster seizes the day. Her father and Buster's pal pursue the eloping couple, but are too slow to prevent the wedding. It's a very slight film, and the format mirrors the Keystone comedies of 1914-15, which suggests this Keaton film is a quickie to meet a contractual obligation. Keaton at this time was certainly working more elaborate gags than this movie shows. Next episode... I may just stir up a little controversy about what science fiction actually is as we turn to two non-bug-eyed monster films from 1958. Don't forget to be the first on your block to purchase the ebook Movie Chronicles 1906 and read what all the controversy was about. Become a Buzzsprout or Patreon supporter to have access to the special episodes and remember... Just because someone says it's true doesn't mean it is.